Hello, everyone, and welcome or welcome back to the Life Abundant Podcast. My name is Susie Seidel, and I am so excited and thankful that you're here. And I'm flying solo today. Last week, I was with my friend Molly, and we had an awesome conversation about relationships, and she spoke so much wisdom, and I was just able to share such great conversation with her um, regarding that topic. So if you missed it, be sure to check it out and catch up on any other episodes that you might have missed, and then be sure to check back in probably weekly every or bi-weekly. Again, I don't really have a set day of the week or date that I post. So just check back in, um, make sure you haven't missed anything. Also, I've been posting um, when I upload new episodes on my Instagram story, if you want to follow me there. But thank you so much for just being awesome listeners and for all the feedback that I've been given. Um, And I just thank you for just supporting me and hopefully sharing some episodes that you find helpful with your friends and family. But Today, like I said, flying solo, and I'm going to be talking about um, this week, which is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And I've mentioned it in previous podcast episodes, and if you know me, you just know that this is a huge part of my story and part of my testimony and just aspect of my life, and I think it's really important to talk about. And I've honestly been pretty vulnerable in talking about my experience with having an eating disorder since it began, I guess, so I was diagnosed by my physician with anorexia in August or July of 2017 and then went back for a visit in January of 2018. And after that visit, which I had gotten a lot of positive results um, physically of how I was doing, um, I wrote like a blog post. I had a blog at one point in high school about it. And then I wrote a lot of articles about it for my high school newspaper. I had a column called Speak to Silence. I can link that below. And I've also just shared a lot about it on social media. I've shared about it at some events and at my church before. And yeah, I think that when I first talk about it and I'm open in discussing just the topic of eating disorders, there's kind of an instant gratification of it feels really good to bring light and hopefully hope to the topic. But I feel like as time goes on, I start to feel really guilty and resentful of, you know, I'm speaking about how God has redeemed me from having an eating disorder and how I've been set free from, you know, the grips of anorexia and orthorexia, but, you know, I'm still struggling, and that can be a really difficult thing to kind of grasp, and that makes me feel really guilty in that, you know, I'm not truly embracing the recovery that I found, but I kind of want to specifically talk about that today. I feel like especially in, like, an awareness week, there's a lot of pressure that you have to be, like, totally okay, and you have to be completely recovered um and it's also just scary to talk about it with people if you've struggled with eating before you know that when you are vulnerable and talking about it it kind of puts you under a microscope for the rest of the relationships that you're in you know like if I tell somebody that I had an eating disorder I kind of notice and sometimes it's in my own head sometimes it's true that they are particularly keen or aware of what I'm eating so I just kind of want to just talk about the concept of identity and what really delivered me from having my identity in an eating disorder and how that means it's still okay to struggle sometimes. So bear with me. I know that sounds a little confusing, but hopefully I can kind of walk you through my experience and the truth that God has given me. And hopefully you learn something, whether you've specifically struggled with an eating disorder or just any type of addiction or substance abuse or anything like that. So, like I said, I kind of first 
um, began developing an eating disorder in 2017. I was a freshman in high school, and there was just kind of a lot of random things that led me to naturally, like, lose some weight. I was doing high school sports, and I'd never really been that active before, and my mom went back to work, um, and she was working, like, a later shift, so I was typically making myself dinner, and I didn't really know how to cook anything except for, like, rice and grilled cheese, so I just was kind of eating less completely on accident and just kind of saw myself losing weight and around that time in my life I just kind of had some difficulty within our family and I mean I was a freshman in high school like I was just kind of struggling to figure out who I was and who I wanted to be and so I kind of noticed myself becoming skinnier and the praise I was getting for my appearance and so that's kind of the person I assumed was somebody that was small somebody that was you know, quiet, kind of seemed to have it together, somebody that was disciplined, some, somebody that was perfect, and that, you know, everybody else kind of wanted to be, which was not necessarily true. That's kind of what I thought. So that led me to have a very horrible relationship with food. Um, I would eat, like, a banana and turkey, and that's about it. And I honestly don't really remember, like, much of this time. Like, my body was just so tired and so just broken and disabled, honestly. And I went back to, so that kind of went on throughout the summer. And then I went back to like high school sport practice, um, probably in July of 2017. And a lot of people at school kind of started to notice that I was not doing okay. So I had a physical with my doctor just like randomly scheduled that week. So it ended up working out um, all in God's timing for sure. And um, that's kind of just when I was brought in to um, a team of people to help me recover and get back to a normal weight and just normal eating habits. So that's, um, I started seeing a therapist at that time, um, just kind of working out some just other issues that I had that, you know, led to um, like gripping or kind of going towards an eating disorder to gain control of my life. And Um, I was also just checking back in with my doctor again. My vitals were kind of back up to where they should have been in January, but this kind of was the beginning of a really long road with just struggling with food. And I definitely struggled a lot with orthorexia, which is kind of like an obsession with eating a certain way. So in my case, I was obsessed with eating quote unquote healthy. And so I would freak out and panic like if there was ever an instance or a circumstance where like I couldn't eat what I wanted or what I felt like was a healthy option. And honestly, food just, like, really consumed my life. Like, I thought about it all the time. I was constantly looking on Instagram, like, fitness accounts, and constantly comparing myself to people, um, constantly thinking about, like, what I was going to eat, looking at menus, where I was going to eat, how I was going to get out of eating, and it was just exhausting. Like, I was so tired, and it was just not a fun place to be. So, in 2018, I went to LA with my dance team and I went with my friend Bailey and my friend Kristen and that was just such a blessing from God was that trip we had the best time and I just was able to have really honest conversation with those girls about kind of where I was at and what I was struggling with and Bailey was really really strong in her faith is really strong in her faith she's awesome and basically kind of shared the gospel with me and invited me to church with her and I started going and 
I just kind of realized that there was so much more to life than just what I looked like and what I was eating and that maybe I had more of a purpose on earth than just to be skinny. And that kind of opened my mind up to a lot of questions and kind of pursuing other, just pursuing my faith in general, I guess. But I definitely still really struggled during this time, but was kind of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, throughout high school, I still really struggled with obsessing with eating healthy and just kind of freaking out when that when things didn't go my way. But it definitely got a lot better over time. I started to challenge myself with foods that I wasn't comfortable with before and saw a lot of growth. And then I kind of forget like what year this was or like where this is in the timeline, but I started reading a book called Finding Your Identity After an Eating Disorder and I picked it up at a half price bookstore. It, I think I got it in like a winter. Maybe it was like my junior or senior year of high school. But I started... I want to say it was my senior year. So kind of um, a year and a half, two years after I like kind of began my journey of recoveries, I started reading this book. And I don't remember too much about it, but basically the concept that has stuck with me was in order to truly recover from an eating disorder, you had to take your identity out of food and out of what you looked like and out of those things that comprise an eating disorder and into something else. So what the book meant by identity, and I guess the kind of definition of identity that I'll be referring to as we go throughout this episode, is what you put like your worth and your value in, Um, like what you feel like defines you as a person, and just what comprises who you are. So for example, in the concept of having an eating disorder, my worth and value came from what I ate. And so if I ate what I considered a healthy and safe meal, then I felt like I was enough. Or on the contrary, if I ate a meal that I didn't feel comfortable with, I felt like horrible about myself and I felt like I was a failure. If I worked out on a certain day, I felt like I was like uh, successful or accomplishing things. But if I didn't work out, I felt again like a failure. So I feel like we see this a lot in sports. Um, Like if you have your identity in a sport, you know, if you know, the game goes well or you play well, that you feel good about yourself and you you feel successful. But if you play a poor game or the game didn't go to plan, you feel like terrible and you feel like a failure. So hopefully that makes sense, that kind of concept of identity. And maybe you have your own definition of identity, but I feel like it all kind of traces back to what your value and your worth is in. So basically what this book was saying is you have to take your like, that is bad. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Having your worth in what you eat, what you look like, that is bad. So what you should do is put it into something that is, I guess, more connotated with being good. So <laughs> so the specific examples I remember from the book, and I don't want to, like, completely slander this book because I don't really remember, like, all of the details about it, but this is just kind of what um, I took out of it at the time. Again, I read it, like, years ago. But I'm saying take your identity out of an eating disorder and into like being an equestrian and horseback riding or into being a painter and painting or into being a um, a good mom and making sure that you're properly fueled to like be a good parent to your kids. And so I totally respect that concept. And I was like, that's awesome. That's great. No identity in food, identity in horses. And (laughs) so as I was kind of thinking about it, I was like, okay, well, what happens if, you know, you fall off your horse and because I'm really scared of horses, fun fact about me, I'm really scared of horses. I was like, what if you fall off your horse, because that's my fear, and break your leg, then what? Then your identity can't be in being an equestrian anymore. 
Or what if you don't like painting anymore or you run out of paint? Then what happens? You're not a painter anymore. And all these different identities and things that this author, as I recall, was naming were fleeting and they weren't constant. They weren't eternal and always going to be there. Everything would eventually fade. What if the world blows up and there's no more paint? You know, like there was nothing that was going to last forever. So like I said, I was kind of going to church, getting into my faith during this time. And I had heard the term identity in Christ being thrown out a lot. And I remember I met up with one of my small group leaders and I was like, all right, here's the, here's the deal. I remember exactly where we were. Um, Hey Tess, if you're listening to this, I was like, all right, I've heard a billion times that I'm supposed to put my identity in Christ. What the heck does that mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? And what I've definitely come to learn in the following years since then and up until now is that finding your identity in Christ is definitely more of a journey and not a destination. But the more that you learn, and that's like how God intends it to be. Like he intends us to constantly be learning about him and about ourselves. So there is no destination that we're reaching, but every day we are just given more knowledge and more grace of what it looks like to be a follower of him and to have our identity in him. So I, again, vocalized this to some of my small group leaders, and I ended up doing a study in my senior year of high school with my small group called Defined, which is by Priscilla Schreier. And I love it so much that I'm actually doing it with the high schoolers that I lead now. Um, Queens, if you're listening to this, you know I love Priscilla Schreier. Um, But this study honestly really changed my life. Um, Not even the study itself, but just like the scripture that it's centered on, which is primarily the book of Ephesians. But I kind of want to share with you some of the key things that I've really continued to like process and learn about um, since doing the study and even since like looking back on it now it's really cool to open up this study that I did my senior year of high school and now in my sophomore year of college and kind of seeing what's changed and the growth I've seen since then but to start us off there's this image in this book that I think about all the time and hopefully you can like do a quick google search of this but The image is of the Mississippi River. I wonder if that's what you thought I was about to say. Yeah, it's the Mississippi River, um, and it's the map of the Mississippi Delta, which covers the southern part of Louisiana from New Orleans outward. And what you can see, so try to Google Mississippi Delta and see how at the end of this, you know, the huge Mississippi River, it branches off into little distributaries, which kind of look like little fingers um, (laughs) fanning out into what's called a bird foot pattern. And so... What this kind of symbolizes, or what the analogy is, is that our sin nature is like this. So, we think back to Adam and Eve, you know, they disobeyed God, and that is where sin entered the world. So, all sin starts from that moment, that original sin, which is a huge theological concept that you can look more into. But, so each of us, the point is that each of us share this main artery of original sin that runs in us, that we're just born with. We can't help it, we're just born with it. But because we are unique individuals, the expression of sin, which is like the river branching off into different distributaries, shows up differently in different people. And that's because the enemy, or Satan, aware of our specific personalities, our interests, desires, experiences, passions, that God placed inside of us, tries to take advantage of what he knows about us, and he plays on our predispositions, even though they're not necessarily sinful in themselves, and matches them with temptation that specifically hurt us more than it would for somebody else so you know I'm talking about eating disorders right now maybe that's not something that you've struggled with but maybe 
an expression of sin in your life is through alcohol or through um, abuse or through um, toxic relationships. But the enemy knows us and he knows where our predispositions in that lie. And so he specifically goes after those things in different ways, if that makes sense. So for me, I, you know, one example, and obviously there's more than just one, but I have a predisposition to perfectionism. That's just kind of part of my personality. Um, I would like to say that's something that I've seen as a pattern in my life is like the concept of going the extra mile. I'm always kind of striving to go above and beyond expectations and the enemy knows that about me. And so he knows that if I am fixated and obsessed with food, I'm always going to constantly be striving to go above and beyond to um, just be thinking about food or eating a certain way, which takes my mind away from God and onto something else. So hopefully like you can identify some area in your life where you see that. But why I bring this up is because I feel like it's often said um, in the concept of in the idea or in the realm, I guess, of eating disorders is like it's always going to be something that you struggle with. And I remember hearing that as I was going through recovery and I was like, damn, like that sucks. Like I don't want to struggle with this the rest of my life. Um, And so I always felt like I was striving to be completely free of it and to never struggle with it again. And so that's where I would find a lot of discouragement when I would talk about, you know, recovery from an eating disorder and then kind of falling back into a struggle or a habit weeks later. And I was like, dang, like, I really am going to be struggling with this my entire life. Um, And what I had to have to say about that is we're always going to have on this in this earth where there is sin, we are always going to have these sin inclinations. And the enemy is always going to try to be pulling us away from God by pulling us into falling into the temptation of sin. And that expression in my life is with food. And so it is going to be something that I have to constantly be aware of and fight every day. Ephesians 6 says to put on the army, the, the armor of God, because he, like, he knows, Paul knew that we would have to fight this sin and this battle every day. But what we are set free from, we are set free from sin. So I am set free from that identity in my eating disorder and thinking about food all the time and having no life outside of it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle with thinking about food every once in a while. That's just sin. But what we have, it's like where sin increases, grace increases all the more. That's Romans 5.20. So yes, we are going to struggle with that sin, but we have abundant grace that we can go back to and just have with God that he can deliver us from the situations and help us navigate through each circumstance whenever we struggle. So yeah, while it sucks, like the concept of like, you're always going to struggle with this, you don't have to be your struggle. You know, that's not where your identity lies. No, your identity doesn't lie in your eating disorder. It also doesn't lie in you having had one and having a struggle in general. Where your identity lies is in Christ. And so it's not in an eating disorder. It's not in any struggle that you've had. And it's not in the concept of having a struggle. But it's in Christ. So something that has really helped me kind of discover my identity in Christ is through the book of Ephesians, as I mentioned. And so if you want to do a little bit of a homework vibe... um, I invite you to read um, the first two chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and 2. It's um, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the people, the church of Ephesus. And it has a lot of beautiful themes on just identity and value in Christ. And so as you're reading the first two chapters, if you decide to do this, um, you'll see a lot of statements on like who we are in Christ. So let me find a quick example. Um, so for example, in verse 4, Paul says, 
God shows us in him in order so that we can be holy and blameless in love before him. So like my challenge to you is to rewrite those phrases into like you are statements. So like the first one, God shows us in him, you would write you are chosen or in order that we may be holy, you would write you are holy or I am holy. So I did this with my small group and then I did it again recently as I've been going through this study again. But some of the attributes that we wrote and you can kind of compare yours if you decide to do this to the ones that we have. Some of them were, I am blessed, I am chosen, I am holy, I am blameless, I am predestined, I am adopted, I am redeemed, I am included, I am powerful, I am loved, I am alive, I am a member of God's household, I am a dwelling place of the Spirit. And so whenever I catch myself thinking, you know, I didn't eat a certain way, so I'm not good enough. I can remind myself of the truth that I I am enough. I'm chosen. I'm blessed. Like, I am chosen by the God of the universe. Like, I am enough because of him, because of the love that he had for me. I'm not enough, but because of Jesus, he's, he's enough, so then I'm enough, you know? Oh, sorry. Got a little excited there. But what I'm saying this exercise helped me do was realize that these qualifications that I was placing on myself in order to be worthy were meaningless and they had no truth or value to them but like Jesus says I'm the way the truth and the life so what he says about us is the truth and so when we fill our minds and fill our hearts and fill our spirits with the attributes that he has bestowed onto us and has given to us that is what our identity and what our life is in and so then we no longer have to look to food to give us um or, you know, whatever it may be, food, alcohol, relationships, whatever. We don't have to look to those things to give us purpose. We can look to God who already gave us purpose before the foundation of the world. Another verse that I've really held on to um, throughout my journey with this is First Corinthians 6.19. And First Corinthians talks a lot about just glorifying God with our bodies. And the specific verse says, um, therefore, or not therefore, but do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so I kind of think about this as like almost like a rental car. Um, so if you like rent a car, you, you know, take care of it and you put gas in it, you clean it, but it's ultimately not yours. And so, you know, you might leave your car a little bit messy or, you know, you don't pick it up all the time. It might have a few scratches on the outside. But if you're running a car or using somebody else's, like, you treat it better than you would your own. And so it's not the perfect analogy. But if we think of our bodies as being instruments used by God, we want to treat them with so much just, like, respect and love. And sometimes that looks like eating, like, a well-balanced meal or going on a walk or, you know, exercising, stuff like that. But sometimes that looks like having community like with friends and going out and getting ice cream or celebrating somebody's birthday and like having an awesome meal or meeting like somebody for conversation about God over a fun coffee. You know, like there is no one size fits all to what glorifying God with your body looks like. And it's going to look different some days than others. And that's something that I really have to remind myself. And like one specific story, I, I might have shared this story before. But I um, was kind of struggling over the summer just with food and being a little hard on myself in that way. And I 
was going to meet up with a student to just kind of hang out um, as I was doing my student ministry internship. And I asked her where she wanted to go, and she said Cane's. And I had never been to Cane's before. Fried food is, like, kind of, like, a triggery food of mine, like, something I'm not necessarily comfortable with. But I was like, you know what? No, I need to glorify God with my body, and I need to go and have this conversation with her. And while we were there eating our chicken tenders, which it was, it was fine. I, I it, you know, it was fine. <laughs> but she talked to me about getting baptized and we ended up getting baptized on the same night together because of that conversation that we had over Cain's chicken, you know? So it looks different from day to day. And uh, I think that if you just are open-minded and just kind of go with the flow of like where the spirit's leading you on that day, it's just so beautiful to see like what God does and you know, how good food tastes and how nice it is to relax and, you know, not have to constantly be moving or exercising or things like that. Um, but instead, you know, like our physical bodies are so fleeting. Like one day we're just like literally going to return to dust. And so what matters so much more and what has so much more eternal implication, the only thing that has eternal implication is how we live our lives for God. And that, again, looks different from day to day. And that is what our mind should be set on rather than what we look like or the food itself that we're eating. Like, there's so many parts of the Bible where it talks about just, like, having feasts with each other and just literally popping off and having whatever you want. And, like, that is so beautiful, and that is what God intends for us. And so we should live in such a way. So I guess kind of trying to land the plane here, um, and I could talk about this for a billion years, but, you know, whether you're in a place today where you're in a good relationship with food Um, or maybe you're not, just remember that your struggle is not your identity. Um, The thing itself isn't your identity, but your identity is in Christ and who he has called you to be. And the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knew you before the foundation of the world, that he has set you apart for good works, that you are his masterpiece, you are his workmanship. And you can walk in that identity and in that truth And when you just fill your mind with it, you start to believe it. Something that I've talked about recently with my small group girls is self-fulfilling prophecies. And the idea in psychology is that if you are told by somebody that you are, you know, very thoughtful or kind, like you internalize that and you start to believe it and act like that. It's the same thing like with scripture and with like the living and active word of God. When we fill our minds with what he says about us and who he says that he is, we start to believe it and we start to believe that we are those things. And, you know, in my journey, as I've really um, learned more about like who God is and who God says that I am, I think about food so much less. And I just, instead of thinking about like just life and I would say like the best like way of recovering of an eating disorder is just to live, just to say yes to things, just to hang, going and hang out with your friends, eating what sounds good, eating normally like sometimes that looks like eating a bunch of cookies sometimes it looks like eating just one sometimes it looks like eating none it's just you have to listen to your body and just feed the holy spirit within you and that looks different than feeding your physical body sometimes but it all balances out because god knows our bodies and he's intricate like that so i just encourage you to um just take this week just take some time for yourself and just kind of journal reflect on where you're at And where you might be lacking um, some truth in your identity, where you might be feeling insecure or less than, and find some scripture that counteracts that. So that's something that I um, exercised a lot um, was if I felt, you know, like I am 
I don't know. I'm obsessing over, like, what I'm going to eat at this restaurant tomorrow. Like, Matthew 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Like, tomorrow has enough to worry about itself. Like, I can trust that he's got me. Like, I don't have to worry about it because he already has it figured out for me. And he gives me good things and good gifts. And I can trust that. I can trust that he is good and will bestow good things onto me. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) Or, you know, I feel, like, rejected. I can look back in the gospel and see... Like in Luke 15, the prodigal son, like when the son felt like he was going to be rejected or felt like he wasn't going to be accepted, he was met with an embrace um, by his father. Same thing um, with Jacob and Esau in Genesis. We constantly see throughout the Bible of God just coming after us and just embracing us and telling us that because of his son and because of just God's love for us, that we are made enough through Jesus and we can just rest in that truth. So... Yeah, it's naturally deserves the way this week. I'm always nervous about talking about it, but I liked how this time around I'm able to talk more about God rather than myself because that um, that He is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as I said earlier, and He is what matters, and He is where all glory and honor belong to. Um, in a week like this, not um, what we can do, not what books can do, not what um, social media accounts or um, slideshows on somebody's Instagram story can do, but it is about God. It all points back to him, um, and his just beautiful redemption that we see every single day. So if you would like more, um, information, um, on any resources to just get help if you're going through an eating disorder, um, or more resources on finding your identity in Christ, please reach out to me, um, through social media or through another form of communication. I would love to hear from you. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of this week. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode. See you later. Bye.